You're listening to the Your Queer Story podcast, the podcast that inspires peace, love, and radicalism, led by your favorite hosts, Evan Jones and Paul Hobbs. Trigger warning. Our content covers centuries of LGBTQ plus stories, and occasionally we may use outdated language or cover topics that include violence, assault, homophobia, transphobia, as well as other injustices against marginalized communities. Make sure you subscribe and review wherever you are listening, and be sure to follow us on all social media at Your Queer Story. And if you want exclusive content, join us on Patreon at patreon.com slash yourqueerstory. You're here, now let's get queer. We are take back again. two. This is actually take two. You missed a good like forty-five seconds of us talking with children screaming. Mm-hmm. Um, I was gonna leave it in because it was kind of funny, and you got to hear Evan leave the room and all kinds of stuff. But then I accidentally recorded over it, so yeah, so you don't get to hear it. But don't worry, mm-hmm. it is still early in the episode, and as I said, there's plenty of time for children to scream and dogs to bark, and my wife to decide to hang a picture for no or freaking reason. Buy an eighty pack of toilet paper and take the rolls out <laughs> one by one, <laughs> <laughs> or like a massive plane just to fly over we got a lot of time a lot of possibilities um i do try my best to edit out as much of the background noise as i can but they just call us a sound effects uh podcast yeah our, <laughs> our favorite is the heavy breathing just me <laughs> you're welcome that's definitely going to be in here don't worry so yeah welcome to your queer story the podcast that inspires peace love and radicalism um and we're your host i'm paul and i'm evan and yeah we're both tired. Evan yep. is doing parent things, and I was at a movie premiere last night for a movie yeah. that David and I are both in, or should I say mm-hmm. Kelly and I are both in. Yeah. It's called Death Drop Gorgeous. Not sure when it's going to be released to the public. They've done like some public screenings online you could buy tickets for, but I don't know yeah. if it's going to end up being like on Netflix or Amazon or anything like that, or if they're just going to like sell it i have no idea what like the end goal is weren't they nominated for some awards some small yeah awards a lot of people yeah. and they were nominated for some okay. awards like best yeah. supporting actor and stuff like that nice it was actually so i when i watched it the first time it was like a rough draft right they had all the mm. scene shot and they put it together and they're like this is what we're going for and i was like okay that's that's cute it's yeah. a locally produced movie but when this final cut when i saw it i was like holy shit that's like a real like real thing yeah it almost looks yeah. like a professionally produced movie i was like wow these this group of people really put in the effort yeah good i make that's a cameo great. on there with my sense. one line but i also am dancing at a gay bar so you can, can you reveal that. your one line or will it you know spoil the movie or do you want people to see i think it kind of well my i don't know it's kind of a spoiler in a way because oh, okay. something happens and then I have my line, so I don't want to reveal it, but it's fun. Mm-hmm. It's very Paul Hobbs of me, so. <laughs> so he'll be leaving the podcast soon. I'm going, going to be a movie star. I'm going to be a, a movie star. I'm strictly cast as gay guy number one at the club who mm-hmm. drinks and stands there and dances and doesn't really interact with anybody. Um so just a regular Friday night for Paul. Um, also, any gay character that's ever been in any movie, because heaven <laughs> forbid they actually have a real storyline. Yeah. <laughs> I'm perfect. Hello, Hollywood. Call me. <laughs> I got it down. <laughs> right. Oh, good. So, yeah. Wow. Well, that's exciting. I'm excited for when it finally comes out. Is it kid appropriate? No. Okay. Well, that's good to know. <laughs> There's a, another spoiler, but I'll tell you after, but. It's not okay. kid appropriate. It's not okay. There's only no. There's some murder in it. Yeah. Um, like, but there's like, only like. But is it like just someone dies? There's or? only maybe two scenes that I would say I wouldn't want a kid to see. But other okay. than that, it wouldn't be any worse than six year old, eight year old me watching like Freddy Krueger, right? <laughs> see, okay, that's a question I have because my kids are obsessed with horror mm-hmm. and i mean I, we have foster kids so like we did they they came and they've seen a lot of horror movies like they're very familiar with who jason is and um i don't know anything freddy krueger as well like 
So I don't really know because I don't watch horror. I don't know what's supposed to be the spectrum of kid appropriate. I think horror is something you either enjoy or you don't enjoy. Because I don't know anybody who's like, oh yeah, I watch a horror movie on occasion. I feel like it's kind of like true crime. You either really into it or you could care less. Yeah. Um, But how are you supposed to know that what's kid appropriate? I would honestly say you would probably have to like watch the movie before you let them watch it. Um, Okay. But this movie, excluding those two scenes, I would probably say a kid could watch. Yeah. I mean, it's definitely different, right? Because yeah. it's based around gay providence and all yeah. the characters are gay or queer and there's a lot of drag queens and stuff, which is not, not kid appropriate, but there are a couple sexual horror scenes okay. that I would say aren't kid appropriate. Okay. All right. Well, then, then that, that I can totally get. Yeah. So like for my um, daughter's birthday party tonight she we're doing a five nights at freddy's thing oh wow which is, i've never played that i don't know it looks terrifying to me is it a game it's a game yeah are you playing it tonight no we're not playing it i don't i don't know how first of all i don't have any kind of game <laughs> system which is my biggest failure as a parent because i don't have one yet and we haven't got one yet because gaming systems are expensive and we want to make sure we get one that will They're last for a while also like sold out everywhere right exactly. now. Exactly. Like yeah, I was I was like I'll go to Walmart and even like even the switches are sold mm-hmm. out. It's just it's incredible. So um real quick for any parents to be anybody who is a parent who has kids, if you're going to get a gaming system for your kids, go with Nintendo Switch. One, because all of Nintendo's games are kid friendly. Mario, Luigi, all of those people kids friendly. Yeah. Two, almost all Nintendo Switch games are multiplayer. Brother and sister, brother and brother, sister and sister, siblings, whatever, can sit down and play together. Yeah. And they can play on a team. They can play against each other. But if you get something like a PlayStation, you're going to have to really screen each game, you know, check if it's kid-friendly. And then almost every PlayStation or Xbox game is single player, so they can't play together. Well, that's why I really want the Switch, because you had suggested it, and it's what I want. No, we're You're kind of quiet. I think oh, yeah. we're fine. I think I'm just oh, okay. used to us yelling. Yeah. Well, we we haven't got to that part yet. Um, no, I really want the switch because you suggested it. I'm tr- I'm I'm okay with waiting because they have a lot of stuff outside and it's still nice. But when we get to winter, oh yeah, they need stuff. Also, um, schools are not doing any in person classes this year, so it will the whole be home. Year. Well, at least for the first semester, that's oh, okay. what I know. So it might be the whole year, but for the first semester, they're not doing any in person classes. So they will be home the whole time. Is Samantha going to spiral? Yeah, they're probably... Well, they, she you can't teach, go outside. She's teaching from home too, right? We have no idea. Oh, okay. She might have to... She's the, one of the few teachers that might have to go in because her cl- kids right, don't they, do distance They need a little well. more. Yeah. Or she might have to like travel around and go into individual homes. Oh. So, I don't know. So, if there's any um, Rhode Island-based nannies or people who specialize in distance learning, you can make some money this year and... Let me know because we will. Oh pay my god! You, you know what would be really great is if like you had one person who had like a quote unquote daycare and they could take mm-hmm. like six kids and all the six kids could do distant learning there. Yeah, that, I mean, that's a lucrative. There's business, a people. lot of ways that you can capitalize on this. It's just I gotta find the people that are capitalizing on it because Samantha and I work full time. We need. I don't even care. Just someone to come into my house two hours a day and do the distance learning with my kids. Like right. I don't care what it is. But, you know, and then making sure that, like, you know, like, I do understand them going to uh, multiple houses, but, like, if they're staying in the same group of people. So there are risks involved, but also I don't have a a choice. Like, I cannot distance learn. I can't do distance learning with my kids. Mm -hmm. And I don't want to send them to a crowded place. Right. So then the options are have someone that has more minimum you know, contact and have them come in. So anyways, so looking for someone, please. <laughs> um, but yeah, but then having like a gaming system will be important because right. they have more things that they can do inside mm-hmm. and that's important. And then I can come over and show them what's up every now Please and do then. because you know I'm not going to have a single clue what I'm doing. I tried to play Roblox with Josh the other day and that's I lasted the, about 10 seconds. That's the most simple of all games. Jenna, you literally it's just, just it's like a virtual chat room. You literally just walk around. Is that all I'm supposed to do? Because that's all I was in a Batman game and I was just walking around, shooting the wall. I don't know what I'm supposed to do. <laughs> don't know. So, anyways, yeah, we should get to our episode because we've got stuff to cover today and we have a little bit of time. So we are picking up last week. This is part three of our three-part series on the Independent Fundamental Baptist Movement, also known as 
the IFB, also known as the New IFB, also known as the Independent Baptist, also known as the Independent Fundamentalist Movement. Also known as some evil motherfuckers, also (laughs) known as uh, manipulators, also known as control freaks, also known as abusers, also known as homophobes, also known as the people who want The Handmaid's Tale to happen. Also known as a cult. (laughs) <laughs> so they have lots of names yep labels so if you go back and you listen we talk about how the the modern fundamentalist movement really took off in america in our first episode with j frank norris and lester roloff then we talked about jack hiles who took the movement and pushed it even more to the fundamentalist right and it broke away from even groups like the southern baptist and the american baptist and now we are in some names that you probably know if you're up to date at all on your current queer phobic phobes. Yeah, phobes. even just watching the news, you would yeah. have seen them, you know, any here kind and there of, scattered yeah. in. If you're in any kind of LGBTQ groups or sites, you probably know. We're going to be covering Fred Phelps, who was the leader of the Westboro Baptist Church. And we're going to be covering Stephen Anderson. Who, if you don't, if you think you might know that name, you'll know once we start talking about yep. him. So we laid the groundwork to get here. How yes. everything started, this, the um, previous homophobic actions, but now we're getting into, like you said, things that. Yeah, this is all like this is what because the whole purpose. You're like, why are you covering this? It's because I believe this is the most anti-LGBT group that's currently in America. If you go on the Southern Poverty Law Center site and you look up hate groups. You're going to find a slew of IFB or independent Baptist uh, groups that are on that site. And they are the ones that are leading the movement today um, against, you know, queer people Mm -hmm. of all stripes. So we laid the groundwork to show like how the anti-queer became their core purpose Mm -hmm. of like attacking, attacking the LGBT. And you know. Being anti-queer is a lot easier than being racist because in today's, in the modern age, if you're racist, you're horrible. But if you're homophobic, oh, you're just religious. Which they're also racist, but they're they're not open about it. Exactly. That's the difference. You can't go out and say, you know, kill. they're not going out and say kill people of color. They're going out and say kill queer people because they're not racist. They want all queer people dead. Not just, Mm -hmm. you know. Not just the black queer people. Right. So we're not racist. This is more acceptable form of hate because we're not targeting someone based on their skin color yeah exactly i'm trying not to breathe this heavily into the thing (laughs) they're used to it by now they are (laughs) honestly if you've been here people go to sleep listening to your breath (laughs) they're like where's that part of evan just (gasps) i don't know why i breathe so heavy i always have like there was a some phones have been worse but i remember anxiety you i'm sure (laughs) all your life you were just just anxious (laughs) you're just like (laughs) at all times hyperventilating (laughs) Oh, God. Uh, anyways, all right. But let's get into it. You can lead this one. As Hiles' star began to fade in the 90s, when um, denim jackets were on the rise, mm. a new surge of anti-LGBTQ activism was on the rise in Topeka, Kansas. Fred Phelps was born a few years after Jack Hiles, but his infamy wouldn't come until much later in life. Unlike Norris and Hiles, Phelps grew up in a middle-class family in Meridian, Mississippi. His mother passed away when he was six years old, and his aunt Fred's. Oh, I was like his aunt Fred Senior. His <laughs> aunt helped Fred Senior raise the two children. Phelps graduated in the top of his high school class and was prepared to enter West Point when a revival meeting changed his plans. Instead, Fred went off to the Baptist Super College, Bob Jones University, but quickly became disillusioned with the school that he considered too watered down and liberal. So he headed to California and took up street preaching preaching for several years before meeting his wife, Margie, and settling down. So there's a thing in fundamentalism. One of the biggest insults that you can give a person is that they're liberal. And so there's a lot of things like all they would do is they're so like Bob Jones University is not a liberal university by any stretch of the imagination. But I grew up believing that they were just as liberal and worldly. That's another term they use as everyone else because but really it was just that jack hiles had his own college and he wanted people to go to his college so he called john bob jones university too liberal and it would be like one standard that you don't agree on and all of a sudden we are just a liberal and so you want yeah. women to be able to wear pants it's liberal even that it wouldn't even be that you want limited literally and them not joking 
Like there were groups that believed that your skirt should be to the floor, then that believed that your skirt should be to mid calf, and then there were those that believed it should be the low below the knee. So the groups that believed that your skirt should be to the floor thought that the mid calf and below the knee were liberal. It's like that kind of ridiculous nonsense. Yeah. We're not even talking about a woman putting on a pair of pants. We're talking about the length of her skirt. Was yours to the, yours to the feet? No, our, no, ours was actually below the knee. But I remember you saying that, like, they, wouldn't you have to get measured? Like, they would measure yes. them and stuff. So you would have dress checks, and those were like several times a week. And you would go into a room, and you would have to, if you're, they were unsure about your skirt, you'd have to kneel on the ground. And if your skirt didn't touch the ground, and it actually had to touch the ground, and a little bit of frag fabric had a kind of wrinkle mm-hmm. then you had to go change or you, you guys get hear, you all hearing this yeah so <laughs> you had to do a whole thing like you had to walk in front of a group of women you had to kneel on the ground you had to put your fingers up to your chest and show that your shirt wasn't too low you had to spin around in a circle so that they could make sure that your butt and your boobs didn't show too much um, and occasionally they would even have you jump up and down to see if there was too much wiggle and there were girls that were literally wearing three bras to, I mean, you I mean, can't help it. You couldn't, yeah, because like, it was not possible. Like, they're, you're a bigger girl, you have a big chest, and you're wearing these these layers of bras underneath, like, a sweater and a shirt and still being told, sorry, honey. Like, it was it was mental. I, I, I don't did, know if I was Did guys mental, have to go through anything? Like, guys, was there, like, a you have to be... I mean, did they pull yeah. them in there and say, why are you, is your shirt so not So, a guy there? had to, I believe, and I, so there were hair standards, I know that. You couldn't have a beard. I believe... You couldn't have a beard? You could not have a beard. Wow. Don't Is that know why. just because that's like a Jewish thing? I don't Orthodox think that it was Jewish? against. They just thought that it was... Unclean? Uh, it was... Uh, it was It was. They tied, wanted that like clean like... That clean look. And I think it was tied to Heil's disdain of the hippie movement. Uh, probably. And so, that would make and Especially sense. at that time, beards were very much like a hippie thing. Mm-hmm. So he didn't like it. So I don't... Your hair could not touch your ears. Like it could not touch the top of your ears. Um... And it had to be, when I was there, you could only wear the style where it was combed down and parted to the side. Like this? You, not even. Like, like you had to have a part in the middle. Oh. There had to be a visible part. Uh, in the middle or on the side? On the side, sorry. You had to have a visible part on the side, and it had to be combed over to the side. And so guys that had curly hair would have to, like, cut their hair so short. The only other option was I think you could have, like, a half inch of hair or something. Mm-hmm. Maybe it was, like, a quarter inch. So, like, if it was physically not possible to cut your comb your hair down, then they would they'd let you pass. But there were guys, like, their hair would grow out a little bit, and they would have to comb it, and they'd have to use this gel and spray it down. And it was just solid to the top And it was just head. solid and wet. But it was like, well, at least you fit. And then Mm -hmm. you couldn't wear certain color shirts if you were a guy. You had to wear a shirt and a tie every day that you were like representing. So like if you were in school or church or anything, um, you could wear khaki pants and black dress pants, but you could only wear jeans on special occasions. Yeah. It was just, there was a lot. Yeah. The girls had it way worse though. I was just curious if there was like something at least somewhat similar. Yeah. Yeah. No, yeah. Guys did have a dress code, but it wasn't like the girls. Mm Mm-hmm. So in 1955, when the world of fundamentalism was recovering from the recent loss of Jane Frank Norris and Jack Hiles was just beginning his ascent into IFB notoriety, Fred Phelps took over leadership of the Westboro Baptist Church at age 35. It was at this time that Phelps became an independent Baptist, though he dismissed the practices of men like Norris and Hiles. He didn't like Sunday school or anything that turned a church service into a parade. So Norris was different in that he liked... I'll say instead he wanted to focus solely on him as he raged behind a pulpit for hours at a time. He so he always thought that people like Jack Hiles turn their their Sunday services into a circus. And he's like, that's not what it's supposed to be about. But really, you just made people sit and listen to you scream for three hours. Um, his incessant fixation on Judgment Day, this is a Baptist belief that one day we will all stand before God and have to answer for every sin we have ever committed. Could you imagine? Sorry, I'm interrupting <laughs> you. But like, I'm just imagining like I fucking... I die, right? And then yeah. I like open my eyes or I appear in heaven or however it works. And God's just there with a fucking book. Like, <sighs> well, Paul, page 732. <laughs> just like, <laughs> I'm like, you touched your junk in a public place on accident. Again. Page 733. <laughs> you masturbate it. Again. again. <laughs> <laughs> I'd be like, all right, can you just send me to hell? Clearly, I'm not getting it. <laughs> right? Like, why don't He's like, no. This is the process. <laughs> this thick of a book. That, that's the real torment, if I'm honest. I don't even mind. Like It's like an office-style people in hell and be like, honestly, I don't even mind it here, but the real torture was just having to listen to everything. <laughs> Sorry. Okay. Oh, I've got to keep hitting my fucking microphone. All right. <laughs> 
So, anyways, uh, eventually this obsession with the Judgment Day drove most of the members away. While Phelps had the same anger and hate of Norris and Hiles, he didn't have the charm. And therefore, he didn't have the support and wealth the other two men acquired. Instead, his 13 children would go door-to-door selling candy bars in an attempt to help support the family. This led to a lawsuit in 1972 when two companies charged Phelps with failing to pay back the companies. Which, I mean, he did have... A cult following, mm-hmm. but you can see the lack of charm prevents you from becoming a massive cult. Oh right? yeah, you can have somewhat of a cult following, and you can definitely have followers. But if you don't have that charm, that charisma, mm-hmm. you're just not going to get people behind you. You just and, can't. Yeah. It and just doesn't work. Yeah. And that's the thing. I think that's what's difference between Phelps and Hiles because Hiles, it was all about the number. Like he wanted his image. And Phelps was just about, like, he just wanted to be a hateful person. And the most of the people in his cult were his family. Like, they were his children and his grandchildren. I think by the end, they were down to 24 people. Like, it's a very small group. I miss, <laughs> this is going to sound bad, but I miss seeing the images of, like, three people <laughs> who from their churches. Like, hold it. Yeah, and there's literally, like, three to yeah. eight of them. And I'm yeah. like, you look so pathetic you do it really is sad <laughs> and the only people you can get to listen to are your family who you you keep there through very awful physical abuse and intimidation so that was the only way mm-hmm. that he could keep people staying under like he was just an abusive person and people were too afraid to leave right yet even with his raging about the end times phelps had not yet become so unhinged in 1964 he finally graduated from college this time with a law degree from washburn university His first case was a civil rights case and, in a grand departure from the IFB, Phelps actually opposed the Jim Crow laws of the era. Mother Jones once reported Phelps as saying, I systematically brought down the Jim Crow laws of this town. His daughter added, We took on the Jim Crow establishment and Kansas did not take that sitting down. They used to shoot our car windows out, screaming we were inward lovers. But Phelps returned to the IFB old ways in his hatred for Catholics, even suing President Ronald Reagan in 1986 when Reagan appointed an ambassador to the Vatican. Phelps claimed it was a violation of church and state, yet never saw the irony later when he wanted America to adopt the anti-LGBTQ stance of the IFB. Um, No, I'll tell you later because it's completely unrelated to the episode. I was just going to say that Bloody Mary was Catholic and she was the the Mm -hmm. older sister of Elizabeth, Elizabeth the first. Yeah. And I learned that yesterday. So it's a really interesting Catholics play. are very Samantha's not here. What? Catholics are very bloody people. Bloody Oh, they are. I mean the Spanish Inquisition, are you kidding mm-hmm. me? Like, yeah. They are. But I mean any All group, religion. Like look at, at the end of the day, it's all religion. When, in our next episode, we're gonna talk about Hawaii and the and the white Christian Protestant missionaries and what the, the shit mm-hmm. they did. So um but yeah. It, it is interesting in the and and his clan is always clung to that idea of like we are we're not hateful people look at how what we've done for black people again a very much a white savior complex which was something that they did in the 1960s and and like are and they i applaud them for doing that work but i that you're standing on a street corner six times a day to protest against lgbtq rights there's what about you thinks you're not a hate group So the unraveling and fundamentalizing of Fred Phelps really began in 1977 when he was sued by a court, when he sued a court reporter because she didn't have a transcript ready for him on the date he requested, even though the timeline was not consequential to his case. During the trial... During the trial against the court reporter, Phelps perjured himself and was disbarred from practicing in Kansas in 1979. Six years later, nine federal judges filed complaints against Fred Phelps and several of his children for spreading false claims against the judges. This resulted in the 89 plea deal where Phelps agreed to stop practicing law in any federal court. Just as he had driven most of his church members away, he also made no friends outside of the church, attacking everyone from Princess Diana and Mr. Rogers to all of Sweden and Ireland and the entire continent of Australia. While most, You know what? I will at least say he put in the work. <laughs> it's like, if I'm going to be a hateful man, I will be the most hateful man. The entire continent of Australia, all of Sweden, all like he was doing it. Yeah. He, you know, at the end of the day, he was putting in the work. He was. You know what? You got to give him that. <laughs> he stayed true to his mission. But while most of the world enjoys a good laugh, the truth is many in the Phelps family and West Barrow Baptist have long lived in fear. 
Throughout the 1970s, two of Phelps' children fled the dwindling church, claiming severe abuse. Nathan and Mark Phelps both reported that their father beat them with the handle of a mattock, which is a type of pickaxe. As we stated in the roll-off segment, the IFB prides itself in its encouragement of extreme abuse against children. Hiles wrote three books on rearing children and instructed his members to begin hitting their children before the age of one and increase the severity of beatings until the child reached age 18. Another popular... And you wonder why people leave that church and become dominatrixes. Just can't figure it out. I don't know. Another popular book in the world of fundamentalism is the book To Train Up a Child by Michael and Debbie Pearl. Parents are taught that the Bible wants them to hit their children until they are black and blue. The book drew national outrage in 2012 when reports of two children's death were linked back to the methods encouraged by the Pearls and to the IFB as a whole. Fred Phelps' abuse of his children was no different. Those who didn't want to leave or who could not escape stood by Phelps as he began his work against his greatest enemy yet. Dun dun dun. dun, dun. dun. Westboro Baptist's extreme hatred of the LGBTQ plus has drawn ire even from many fundamentalists. The anger from the outside hasn't always been about why Westboro hates queer people, but because of how they protest their disdain of the LGBTQ. So just clarifying that many in the IFB world applaud the fact that uh, Westboro Baptist hates queer people. They just think you're going about it the wrong way. You're making more enemies. We need to go about it more subtly so that we can really crush them. Right. The story was told by one member that Westboro's efforts against homosexuality stem from the cruising done at Gage Park in their local town of Topeka, Kansas. One of Felt's children claimed a park was taken over by sodomites and that a homosexual had tried to lure one of their children into the bushes. The church tried to rally... <laughs> Just, I'm just imagining, sorry, this is why I just need to do a little improv, get this out, but I'm just imagining like a kid walking through the park and then all of a sudden this guy peeks out of the bush, hey little child, you want to come over here real hey, quick, I got a little candy, and just like peeking back in. I'm just imagining that literally it was two guys sitting on a park bench, yeah. the kid oh. walked by and one of Phelps' great crazy kids is like, are you trying to lure my kid over to your disgusting ways? And the guy's like, no, honey, I'm we're literally just, just hanging out. We're just sitting here enjoying the day. Watching the birds. Your kid walked by <laughs> us, honey. Like, wait, I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> um, the church tried to rally other congregations to protest the park, but they were shut down. When a councilwoman doubted that the park was actually being overrun <laughs> by gays, Fred Phelps called her a Jezebelian switch hitting whore. That's my new middle name. When I get married, I'm changing my middle name to that. <laughs> Paul Jezebelian switch hitting whore Hobbs. <laughs> I don't, I don't get the switch hitting. Is she hitting someone? But who is is she? Is it a dominatrix joke? Like what does it mean? Switch Jezebelian. Okay. Eventually taking manners into their own hands, Westboro launched the first anti-gay picket at the park, and the rest is history. And you know what's funny? I guarantee you, like no gay people probably. Went. I mean, maybe it was a cruising spot, but. Like, I, I don't know. No, any more than any other yeah. park or any... Like, it's not like... When was this? What time period? This was in 1989. Okay. That would be why. It could have been, gonna, yeah. Yeah, but... Yeah. I mean... It, it's like, at that time period, it'd be like any other park. It's not it like... It really was. They're just mass and I don't want to say infesting but mass infesting this park you know what I mean like it's not like it's full of homosexuals crawling it's not. the park and it's not like it's uh, safe here's the thing like you make a society where queer people can't go anywhere like literally you can be evicted from your apartment for having uh, another man in the in the apartment with you I mm -hmm. mean we go all the way to 2003 with Lawrence versus Texas where they're raided by the police in their own home because sodomy is illegal right and so um so like they have so so gay people would go cruising in parks and they mm -hmm. would hook up, but this idea that like you're walking through the park and you're just seeing guys fucking against trees just wasn't true. Unless you're walking through the park at like three a.m. Well, it, it, and even then, <laughs> though, the, they're at least hiding behind a bush, right? And that's what I mean. Like they, it was at night. It's not like you couldn't walk through the park and enjoy your day because you'd sit on a pitch and someone would come ask to suck your dick. Right. That's it's not how it is. It just wasn't. But you know, there's a couple groups in there, and also again, this is fucking Topeka, Kansas. I'm sorry, but really how many queer right. people are you're hooking not in, up in Gage You're not Park? in Greenwich Village. Right, exactly. Over the next 22 years, Fred Phelps, his large family, and their few followers could be found regularly picketing one event after another, holding their infamous God Hates Fags signs. Mm. They harassed and bullied LGBTQ people in bars, at concerts, and during Pride events. Eventually, picketing replaced everything else, and for a period of time, the church protested in at least six places a day, and up to 15 places on Sundays. So rather than doing sermons and preaching, yeah. they, this was their way of 
this was all they did. Connecting this was their to ministry. God. Yeah, this was their yeah. ministry. Yeah. Upon the death of Matthew Shepard, the cult upped their antics from nu- from nuisance to pure cruelty. In 1998, they protested at the funeral of the young man who was tortured and murdered for being gay. Phelps and his crew taunted the family and shot forward in the national spotlight. A few years later, after the events of 9-11, Westboro began to blame the tragedy of America's acceptance of the queer community. The group began to pick at the funerals of soldiers deployed to the, in the Iraqi war. They stood outside of the grave sites holding signs that read, Thank God for dead soldiers, and God hates America, and Thank God for 9-11. It was clear their only motives were their... It was clear their only motives were to stir attention and outrage. And it's funny because all of these super religious groups like this holding signs like, thank God for 9-11 and God hates America. How is that any different from the Muslim extremists holding the exact same sign? Right. It's not. That's a, for any religious person out there, that's a very, I want you to think that. For anybody who's super against the Muslim religion and doesn't mind Christianity or Catholicism or any of that, how is this any different? Right, and to, and to be really clear, isn't. well, it's not like Muslims are out there holding signs. That no, say I God meant like America, but I meant the extremist perception. Yes, yeah, that's what I meant. Like, yeah, you're so scared of these. I mean, granted, there are terrorist groups and things like that, but yeah. there are terrorist groups of every color and every nationality and every religion. Yeah. But the media has painted this picture that this one specific group is so anti-American, so terrifying, but here, right in the United States, at a soldier's funeral, this is happening. Right. By white people in a white religion right in our own area. Well, what gets me is that, like, they would look at people like Westboro Baptist and they would write them off and be like, okay, I don't agree with that and I think that's that's disrespectful, but whatever, that's just a couple of nut jobs. Mm -hmm. But then they'll look at a representative like Ilian Omar. Is it Omar? Um, OMAR, I'm pretty sure. OMAR, okay. And, you know, and she'll say Mm. one thing about, like, America's not great, which is a true fucking statement. We're not great. It's not, it's true. Look at any stats of anything, numbers, mm -hmm. percentages. What are we great in? Like, if you're measuring it against something, you can't find anything. It's not healthcare, it's not education, it's not um, transportation, it's not... so. Societal standards. We're we're great in gun deaths. We we're number one in that. I Homicide, mean, like, yeah. What are you measuring it against? So when she says something, makes a statement like that, people are like, "Oh, she's a Muslim and she hates America." And you can't you can't even handle us criticism by her without writing her off as hating America. But you can look at a group of white people saying that they're glad that soldiers died and be they're like, "Glad well, that nine yeah. eleven happened. Thousands of people Free died." Speech. Yeah. 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 And 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 but that also there's the point of like this is where you really start to see. That Fred Phelps, it was never about changing people's mind or anything. He was just a very hateful, angry person. And I don't know if he maybe was mentally ill. They did say that it, toward the ends of his life, he had dementia. And I don't know if there was like early onsets of that, not excusing it, but just saying that right. like he was the top of his class in high school. He gets a law degree in the 1960s. And then somewhere in the 1970s, there's a break and he is a different person. Um, I've been doing a lot of research on bipolar disorder mm-hmm. um, and... Uh, one thing that a lot of, not a lot of people, one um, symptom is religious grandiosity. Mm, yeah. So when you see these fiery speeches that can go on for hours, I a lot of times I'm like, is are they just manic right now? Because yeah. that it would make a lot of sense. And if you're untreated and you think that you're right and you're going through, like I know what it feels like to be in that state of just unlimited energy, unlimited potential and you feel like you're so great and just combine that with somebody who's religious yeah there you go simple Um, formula so there's a really great memoir which i can add as a resource here because it ties a little bit into this it ties into the world of fundamentalism though it's not the ifb so tara westover wrote the memoir educate it which was very popular last year and i really recommend it and she was a girl who grew up in a fundamentalist mormon sect and she was never allowed to go to school or anything. Mm-hmm. And then she ended up going off when she was 16. She went off to uh, school and then she now she's a doctor. And she talks about her father who is bipolar and how that is what really, that's what sucked him in. Like she saw the change. It sucked him into this fundamentalist mindset and then it just trapped him there. Yeah, it, it because, could feed that, mm-hmm. you know. And I'm not saying that if you are bipolar, you're going to do that because I right. actually am. But... Yeah, I'm on the exact opposite side of the fence, right? Where I'm like, how can we fix everything that these other people are doing? It's like a war. (laughs) Yeah, well, I think there is that there is that thing that thing of like I want I need I see this problem and I can fix this problem, 
And there are some problems that you cannot fix. You can only make them better or worse, mm-hmm. right? Like, I, I would be great if we could world, end world hunger. And ideally, if we got rid of all the billionaires, we would. But realistically, are we going to ever end world hunger? We can make it better, though. We can make sure more people are fed. So, like, there's, there's great things, like, so big things like that. So, that's what I mean. I think there was something else because, like, genuinely, what do you think is going to happen when you're standing outside of soldiers' funeral saying thank you for 9-11, there's no part of that that you think is actually going to win people to you. Right. You know? So while a few family members have been arrested for minor charges such as an assault for spitting on a person, trespassing, and disorderly conduct, most of their abuse has been the endless emotional harassment placed upon the queer community. The group stated on their website in 2009 that since 1991, they had held more than 41,000 protests in over 650 cities across all 50 states and had spent an average of $250,000 a year in travel to picketing locations. Their work resulted in several lawsuits, community fines, travel bans, and Canada's first hate crime law, known casually as the Fred Phelps Law. By 2006, nine states had passed laws prohibiting protests near funeral sites, and ten more were considering laws, but activism about the, around the issue fell off as Westboro's pickets began to decline. Ironically, their hatred of the LGBTQ helped to draw attention to the discrimination queer people face daily. While we wouldn't give any credit around LGBTQ reforms to Westboro, we can certainly thank them for loudly drawing attention to our cause. Yeah, because before everybody was just doing it in the shadows, and everybody mm-hmm. was like... Because if you'd ever experienced it and it's just happening behind the scenes, every nobody you can't understand what somebody else is facing. Yeah. But yeah. when it's so blatantly happening, how it, it's, it can't be hidden. It's well, there right in front of you. Literally, Westboro made sure that America could not ignore the discrimination that hate pe- that gay people were facing, queer people were facing. Mm-hmm. They made sure it was in your news constantly. Yep. So when you go to the polls, you think. Well, you know, do I want to help? You know, like you, you choose a side. You're like, I don't think that I don't, maybe I don't agree with LGBTQ, but I don't want them to be screamed at every time they pass, they walk down on the street. Like, right. Kept the issues alive, Fred. It kept it in the news. For yeah, sure. exactly. In 2012, Fred Phelps health began to decline and his daughters assumed the face of the, oh, and his daughters assumed the face of the movement. The same year, Planting Peace bought the house next to Westboro, painted it rainbow colors, and dubbed it the Equality House. Three years later, they would buy a second house and paint it the colors of the transgender flag. In 2013, Phelps was excommunicated from the church, essentially for having dementia. One legend has it that he called out to people at Equality House and told them, you're good people, which promptly called for expulsion. The church soundly denies this happened, but whatever the reason, Phelps was moved into a facility where he stopped eating and drinking. He passed away on March 19, 2014. 14. His family did not have a funeral for him because they knew it would have been picketed or yeah. protested. They gave or, a bullshit thing that was like, we don't honor the dead, but no. no you, they knew. You knew exactly yeah. what everybody was going to do. In the mid-2000s, several members began to leave the church again, and in 2011, only around 40 members were left in the church. And like I said, since then, few people have joined and others had left. The one number did say 24 people, but I didn't put it in there because the last verified number was 40 members, but that was almost a decade ago. Mm -hmm. The aggressiveness of Westboro has dimmed slightly as they don't use the F slur quite as much. Still, the daily picketing continues, and a new generation is being trained in the hate of the old Westboro. Their their work complements that that of a new era in the IFB. No longer attempting to attract large crowds that follow J. Frank Norris and Jack Hiles, today the IFB is more radical and dangerous than ever before. They have rebranded a little and call themselves the NIFB, New Independent Fundamental Baptist. Though their leader trained at the college run by Jack Hiles, and his methods, his methods are much more that of Fred Phelps. But the focus on promoting queer people as the biggest threat to America still remains the same. And in a positive note, at the end of Fred Phelps' life, the Satanic Temple performed a pink mass <laughs> on his grandmother's grave. Yes. Which I'm not, I don't know any information on the grand, or his mother, his grandmother. I don't remember who it was exactly. And I'm not saying to dishonor the dead, especially if they were innocent people. But basically, the Satanic Temple, the leader, dropped his nuts on the, <laughs> the, the tombstone and performed a pink mass and told Fred Phelps that his ancestors are now gay in the afterlife. <laughs> <laughs> I just. <laughs> great ending to a story. It would be. But wouldn't it be great if it was real? Like if you went to heaven and everybody Imagine in heaven the, was queer. The grandma's just in heaven, just sitting there, right? <laughs> Minding her own business. And all of a sudden she's like, 
Oh my! Wow, you know what? Shirley's look looking good now. <laughs> 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 All right, good. Steve Anderson is who we're going to cover next, mm-hmm. and he kind of is the current, like, quote unquote, Pope esque type person from 2009 till now. Yeah, I would say like the IFB is still so the IFB is split into the old IFB and the new IFB. And the old IFB is like, that's the Jack Kyle's era. Mm-hmm. And those men are still in power. There's still a lot of work to do. But the new IFB, that's the group. This is exactly what happened 100 years ago when J. Frank Norris took the fundamentalists and were like, no, and he, he radicalized right. them. This so now is you're what, radicalizing the already radicalized. Exactly, you're deeper. re-radicalizing them because the old IFB is too liberal, okay? They just are. Uh, there's a couple of independent Baptist churches now that are letting women wear pants. I don't think so. So the are new you IFB, kidding me? In 2020, a woman wearing yeah, pants? And they're not obsessing over LGBTQ issues enough. So that is what, that is really the cornerstone that's of the why new America's, IFB. That's why COVID's happening, didn't you know? Absolutely it is. Mm-hmm. Just because me and you right here, right here, we're making it happen. We brew COVID. <laughs> Um, Steve Anderson has only been in the public eye for the last 10 years, but at 39 years old, he already has more more notoriety than any of his predecessors had at his age. The effects of his growing cult are still being determined, but already his demands around the death penalty for the LGBTQ are chilling. Born in Sacramento in 1981, little is known about Anderson's early life or what brought him to the IFB. Upon graduating from high school, he headed to Europe to convert the lost Europeans to fundamentalism. He won at least one person, his wife, Susan, Susanna, Susanna, Susanna okay, that's a really cool <laughs> way of spelling it, who identifies herself as a former liberal, who identifies herself as a former liberal, feminist, agnostic that was saved from that lifestyle when her husband witnessed to her. Today, they have 10 kids with a new boiny, a new boiny, <laughs> a new baby joining every couple years or so. In the early 2000s, he briefly attended Hiles Anderson, as he was, and still is, quite a fan of Jack Hiles. Yet for whatever unknown reason, Anderson dropped out of college and never earned a degree. In the IFB, there is no requirement or oversight board to demand an individual have any kind of technical training before declaring themselves a pastor. Yeah. Is that something that generally in religious institutes you have to have some kind of training? Yeah, in a, in a, in a standard institute you have to go to seminary and you have to become, and that's, you have to have your training and then you become what's called an ordained minister. So I could just go become a pastor of the IFB if I oh, wanted yeah, to? Oh yeah, you could start a church tomorrow and it wouldn't matter. I mean, the thing up. is like, there's, <laughs> well, right, it'd be great. <laughs> um, uh, no, but the thing is that like, uh, so you don't have any government. Okay, so like the Catholic Church, if you go, you're a priest and you're assigned to a, a parish. And that means that the Catholic Church funds that. So you, you do raise funds for your, your congregation, but you still have the Catholic Church to fall back on. Mm-hmm. And in a lot of other denominations, I think Methodists or Presbyterian, I don't know, one of them does similar, maybe Lutherans, like they do similar things. So you have a support of a community. It doesn't mean that you're not responsible for keeping funds to your location it just means you have support you have a little support yeah exactly a little backup. so in the ifb though that's not what happens you're responsible for everything like it's like a business you go you start your church you have to pay for it you have to get you know your your people to to donate to it and and all that but you can you can do that like there's nobody to stop you from saying i'm an ifb pastor this is my church if evan and i start a religion would you join tweet us we asked them that two years they ago. never responded though <laughs> i want you to respond we still want you to respond we've been calling you queer since for three fucking years and you assholes still haven't showed up for we church. listen you know how many religious exemptions we could have by now if you would just <laughs> respond to us Tax and free. identify yourself as a christian yeah we exactly. could start an entire we could have a mega church by now we could we really not could. really but and in my mind, we could. And then we could just imagine, right? We have this mega church and people come, and you could come to the church and listen to us podcast live. Yeah. And we also record them and distribute them for the people who can't attend. <laughs> there you go. Just, just tweet us. So, um, <laughs> one other thing about um, Anderson I think I was at college with Anderson. He went to my college. He might have been a year before me, but I don't know why he didn't graduate. He was there for a couple of years. People Wait, you think he him. went with him? Well, I remember he was there the same time as other people, but the thing is he was a married man and that just means that like when you were married, you lived off campus. So you could still be involved in ministries, but it wasn't the same as being on campus and being involved in those groups. Mm. So I didn't have a lot of experience with him. Um, but the guys that went to college with me remember him pretty well and they remember him doing what's called night bus. So he would get on, we would have these buses after church to take people back home 
And then once they dropped everyone, the guys would preach to each other and they would just do ridiculous, like aggressive sermons. They weren't sermons. just preaching to each other. <laughs> okay. Let me tell you, all these, they're like, no, honey, stay home. It's just the men. We're just going to go drop everybody off and we're just going to all be on this bus together all the way away from everybody. Just mm. a group of rough, yeah. sweaty guys yeah. talking it out. But they mm-hmm. said that they I remember know what happens on those buses. <laughs> Anderson being vi- just even then, because Night Bus was known to be ridiculous. You were supposed to be ridiculous. But Anderson was so ridiculous that the guys were like, what is wrong with you, man? Like you, it, it probably like a Fred Phelps, like you mm-hmm. have some serious issues. Like we all agree with you. We're all fundamentalists here, but you man are, are over the top. Mm-hmm. And I think he left because he didn't think Hiles Anderson was radical enough. Okay, um, that makes sense. Yeah. yeah, so Hiles had already died. Jack Scott, his son-in-law, had taken over, and he thought that Hiles Anderson was getting too loosey-goosey with their morals. I don't even know what it means, but <laughs> yeah. I mean, it was actually going the opposite way. They were getting more and more strict, but whatever. So in 2005, Anderson started Faithful Word Baptist Church in Tempe, Arizona. So see, that that's what I mean. So I wasn't there. I the, It's just there was people that were older than me. Yeah. I just put that together because I didn't go until 2006. But I was there in Hammond when he was there. Mm-hmm. But there were some older classmen that did attend with him. Right. Uh, he left Hiles Anderson and he went to Arizona. Um, well, and while radio programs aren't as popular as they used to be, Stephen was still taken, had still took a page from the IFB pastors before him. So if you remember, Norris had the very first radio program. Hiles also had a radio program. Lester Roloff had a radio program. That was a big thing for them as a way they could reach more people. Using the media has always been a crucial in spreading the IFB's message of hate, as well as attracting and recruiting members who support racism, homophobia, xenophobia, and other isms and phobias against anyone from the outside. Anderson found his niche with YouTube, and though he was only has 3,700 followers, his videos have had millions of views, often from viewers who are horrified by Anderson's teachings. Yet, even with YouTube's lax standards on hate speech, Anderson still finds himself censored and his videos reported. So he started his own site, the ifbtube.com. Oh, I think I heard about ifbtube. I think I told you about it once. I'm like going to hack that shit. Go right ahead. You're welcome. So I've linked it there, but I would definitely do a strong, strong trigger warning and caution you before entering that site. But if you're healed enough, I mean, it is hilarious. Some of the shit. I'm going to fuck some shit up. (laughs) So IFBTube allows free reign for fundamentalist pastors to be as abusive as they like. We have added a link and warn you before you venture onto the site about the only thing that it's good for is notifying users viewers of local hate mongers so you can go in yeah it'd probably be good to check to see like okay this guy near me yeah exactly make sure i stay away from him it's like yeah yeah immediately upon starting the church anderson began to preach against the evils of homosexuality he stridently advocates the death penalty be administered for all queer people in one of his now deleted sermon transcript transcripts anderson stated the same god That's it. You got it. I know it is. I just scream. (laughs) The same God who instituted the death penalty for murders is the same God who instituted the death penalty for rapists and for homosexuals, sodomites and queers. But it would take four years before he gained national recognition, not for his comments on the LGBTQ, but for his comments on the president. In 2009, the New Mexico Independent reported that Anderson told his congregation that he wished that President Obama would die. I'm going to pray that he dies and goes to hell when I go to bed tonight. That's what I'm going to pray. And you say, are you just saying that? No. When I go to bed tonight, Stephen L. Anderson is going to pray for Barack Obama to die and go to hell. (laughs) I wonder why. Is it could it potentially be that he wasn't white? No, no, he's no, not that's racist. Not why, right? He's not racist, okay? It has to be because he made just too liberal. It, yeah, he's just too liberal and definitely not more liberal than Bill Clinton or any mm-hmm. other Democratic no. president before him. It's just that's that's Obama is just happens to be there. Exactly. He clarified that he did not want Obama to be assassinated as he, that would make the former president a martyr and he added it's not like we need another holiday. Oh. He's so fucking offensive. It's not funny. <laughs> but I'm just like... No, it's <laughs> It's obscene. just so offensive that you're just like, what is your problem? Again, it's like Fred Phelps where you're like, how do I even take you serious? You're just so... It's, you're just mm-hmm. like a ball of rage. Yet it was this attitude that also drew attention to Anderson's vicious hatred of the queer community. A few years later, Anderson delivered a message on World AIDS Day, an annual commemoration of survivors... Uh, 
an annual commemoration of survivors and those lost to disease hosted on December 1st each year. The fundamentalists read the passage in the Bible from Leviticus 2013 and spoke out against the support spoke out again in support of killing LGBTQ people. The Independent reported as such, and trigger warning. Telling his audience to turn to Leviticus 20.13, Anderson read aloud, If a man also lie with mankind as he lieth with a woman, even both of them have committed an abomination. They shall surely be put to death. Their blood shall be upon them. He then said, And that, my friends, is a cure for AIDS. It's right there in the Bible all along, and they're out spending billions of dollars in research and testing. It's curable right there, because if you executed the homos like God recommends, you wouldn't have all this AIDS running rampant. Which is funny, because that just completely goes against the scientific evidence that it's not a gay disease and oh, god wouldn't karma be if he died of aids oh my oh, god is god. he alive still huh he's still alive right? oh is he because he's still fucking alive yeah he's 39 years old he's alive and raring well <laughs> biological <laughs> warfare but <there> <laughs> The, bibli- the biblical literalism of Jenk Frey Norris' time is still being applied today, only now used to justify killing queer people. And of course, the gays aren't the only ones the new IFB hates. Like all the IFB leaders before him, Anderson also hates Catholics, liberals, and feminists, along with Jews, which is never, which is a newer theme in the IFB. Stephen's 2015 so-called documentary, Marching to Zion, to Zion, to Zion, denounced Judaism, and just a few months later, Anderson shared a second anti-Jew film titled The Holocaust Hoax Exposed. In the areas of racism, the IFB has swung back to the days of J. Frank Norris, with white supremacists finding a home in the new IFB. Martin Luther King Jr. is v- villainized, and Anderson created another film he cleverly called Marxist Lucifer King. And his proximity to Mexico allows for plenty of racist fodder in his sermons and videos. The pastor has also taken pains to spread, to really spread around his hate towards other religions, targeting, Buddha, targeting Buddhists, Hindus, and Sikhs. Sikhs, 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 but pouring most of his rage at Jews and Muslims. That like, I just, how do you have time to hate that many different people? You know what? It takes you got to get up early, four a.m. every day, and you got to commit that day. And from four a.m. till ten p.m., you got to hustle. I the like. <laughs> I never go through my day thinking like, oh my God, those people, like besides people like him who I think are like assholes and really need some maybe mental health and education and some stuff, therapy. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I could never imagine starting my day like, let's see, I hate the gays. I hate the Jews. I hate the Muslims. I hate the Islams. I hate the, like, that's too much. That's too much. It's like you've reached your, like, like, how do you interact in the world? And just like everywhere you go, you have to be like, I hate everyone around me. And I just, I can't because all of you should be dead and all of you are sinners and all of you are hateful or or wrong. It's just, wow. Wow. But what is really sad is the fact that he has 10 kids with more, I'm sure, on the way. And I can't imagine the hell that they live oh, in. Oh, no. They're absolutely. I, and they're the as, incredible abuse mm-hmm. that they suffer. Yet, with so much hate to give, there is plenty left over for the queers. The Southern Poverty Law Center labeled Faithful Word Baptist Church a hate group around 2014 when news first broke of Anderson's advocacy for killing the LGBTQ. They reconfirmed their status in 2016 when news of the Pulse nightclub massacre drew this comment from Steven Anderson. Trigger warning. The good news is there were 50 left pedophiles in the world because these homosexuals are a bunch of disgusting perverts and pedophiles. Those who... That's who was the victim here. A bunch of just disgusting homosexuals at a gay bar. The bad news is there's a lot of homos in the bar that are still alive. So they're going to continue to molest children and recruit children into their filthy homosexual lifestyle. Though it seems we're currently stuck with Anderson's hatefulness, much of the rest of the world has decided against listening to him, and I wonder why. I, I can't imagine. It's like, no. Literally, it's a headache. I, it's the, just... That comment I couldn't even comment on because I was like trying to take it all in, and I'm like, I don't even have like a joke to come back to that comment with because it was like... It's so awful. Mm-hmm. The pastor has been banned from 30 countries and continuing... In, the pastor has been banned from 30 ca- countries and counting, including every developed English-speaking con- con- country other than America. Surprisingly. I wonder why. Mm-hmm. In addition, the new IFB headed by Anderson recently suffered a split amid some controversy. Oh, my God. How many... 
<laughs> you can't just be like, well, we are the split of this religion, which was a split oh, of this they religion. Can't. That's why we have like 1,500 denominations of the world because mm-hmm. I have a book called The 1001 Religions because most of it is just this group splitting from that group, splitting from that group, splitting from that group. It, has, it was revealed in early 2019 that Pastor Donnie Romero, Anderson's close friend and strong supporter, hired sex workers, smoked marijuana, and engaged in gambling. <gasps> is anybody surprised? <laughs> Romero has been pastor of the Steadfast Baptist Church of Fort Worth. SBC is actually a web of several other new IFB churches, all with the title Steadfast Baptist Church of, insert, location here. Yeah. And that's just the city they're located in. Yeah. SBC has also been labeled as a hate group and a cult. Oh, shit. Wow, surprise, surprise. <laughs> so Anderson stepped in to ordain a new pastor, even though his church is not an SBC church. This caused an uproar. when other, And this just kind of shows why, how he views himself and how many do. It's kind of like the new pope because... This isn't even his group of churches, but he just he's just like, all right, I, I'm going to tell you who your new pastor is going to be, which is not even how the IFB is supposed to be. You're supposed to be an independent church and you make your own decisions. But clearly you're not if somebody from another church is deciding who your pastor is going to be. Right. This caused an uproar when another SBC pastor refused to recognize the authority of Steve Anderson and his new placement in Fort Worth. Both sides of the argument then erupted in a battle of name-calling as they each called the other side a cult. <laughs> Imagine two, <laughs> a cult. two <laughs> cults just cult. fighting each other. <laughs> you think I'm a cult? What about you, buddy? <laughs> Let me tell you, you are a liberal. <laughs> in 100 years of practice, the ego of IFP pastors is perhaps their most consistent attribute. However, though one could hope the infighting might distract from the regular stream of hate, it has not. Just a few months ago, the new IFB had their annual Make America Straight Again conference, <laughs> a small convention devoted solely to eradicating the LGBTQ from the U.S. and deliberately held as close to the Pulse nightclub massacre oh, as possible. Up. Yeah, it's fine. Yeah, they do it on purpose. As a new century of fundamentalism begins, we can be sure these extremists will only increase in their aggressive fight to end the queer resistance. We can also be sure that we have faced worse and we say, with pride, bring it. And... I do think that everybody needs to pay attention to these people because mm. you can't sit here and say, oh, we're modern now. That doesn't happen anymore. Yeah. If you watch or if you have been listening to the podcast, I should say, you can see time and time again, there's a big queer revolution. Then they're put underground. Yeah. Then there's a big queer revolution. Then they're put underground. Then there's yeah. a big queer revolution. Then they're put underground. Right now we're in a big queer revolution. And unless everyone is paying attention and actively working to ensure that things continue to go well, we could end up being put underground again. And you think, how the fuck could that happen? Well, mm-hmm. Trump could get elected again. That's another mm-hmm. four years. Yeah. Then Mike Pence could get elected, mm-hmm. and that could potentially lead to eight years. And that brings us to 16 years of anti-queer lawmaking, anti-queer rhetoric, anti-queer statement-making, and... 16 years is a really long time yeah. when you think about it. Um, especially, you know, that could be somebody who was born during the Trump administration for the whole 16 years of their life. Mm-hmm. All they've ever seen the president talk about is anti-queer yeah. things. You know, somebody could have just come out 16, 17 years old and now they're 30. And for the last 16 years, all they've seen is anti-queer rhetoric. Mm-hmm. And that's how you get a new generation. Exactly. And then one thing leads to the next. Now here we are. We're 16 years deep into anti-queer policy making and you know Hollywood's taken back and there's no more queer TV and it just it really is a spiral and it starts with one person Mm -hmm. it starts with groups of hate spreading the message so uh, good and I can't believe I forgot to put this as uh, part of your recommended resources so this is in addition in addition so Jeff Charlotte is a journalist who wrote two books one is called The Family and one is called C Street Jeff Charlotte S-H-A-R-L-E-T-T Um, And what he did is he stayed at a group in Washington, D.C. called The Family. Um, This was in the early 2000s. And they are a fundamentalist group that directly impact our laws in America and in other countries around Mm -hmm. the world. They are the group that was behind Guyana's um, Kill the Gays bill several years ago. So... Um, the fundamentalists, they know how to put people in strategic places. The person that is overseeing... 
President Trump's brother's funeral. His name Clarence, Sex, Clarence Sexton. He is a fundamentalist who I grew up. I didn't. I heard him preach a couple times, but mostly I, I like read the stuff. He was very closely tied to Jack Kyle's, and then they had a fight, of course. But he was closely tied to him for a long time. So um, fundamentalists are everywhere, and I a hundred percent believe with all my heart that the reason that Indiana is as conservative as it is, is because of Jack Hiles. And the reason I believe that is because Jack Hiles trained other people who flooded Indiana with these little IFB churches. And those little IFB churches use that to motivate communities to push anti-LGBTQ agendas, to push anti-abortion agendas, to push anti-women agenda. I don't even want to say anti-feminist because it was just anti-women. Yeah, Yeah, like they push those agendas. So yes, absolutely. These groups, you look at them and you hear what they say and you say, there's no way that that anyone could ever actually believe any of that. But I promise you they do. And when you trace back the roots of some of your community's conservative ties, I'm going to bet there's an independent fundamental Baptist, an independent Baptist, or some kind of fundamentalist group in your area that's connected to that. So they are affecting change. And uh, seriously, read Jeff Charlotte's The Family. Oh, also, The Family was turned into a Netflix documentary series. So you can watch that on Netflix. How do you spell that? Uh, Jeff Charlotte, J-E-F-F, and last name S-H-A-R- L-E-T-T. The Family and C Street. Um, C Street is, I th- at places I found it a little dry, but it is really good. And, and, and it really connected with me because, you know, obviously I grew up in that. Mm-hmm. Um, but The Family's on Netflix, and then you can re- check those book out. And then we have other resources. Yep. So other than that, your recommended resources are the book Banished, Surviving My Years in the Westboro Baptist Church by Lauren Drain. You can also check out the various episodes done by BBC titled The Most Hated Family in America, or check out the TED Talk by Fred Phelps' granddaughter, Megan Phelps Roper, available on YouTube. That's right. And uh, So there you go. That's the IFB, folks. We got to it. We covered it well. And yeah, now we just watch. Now let's prevent The Handmaid's Tale from coming to the United States for real, because... Honestly, when I watched the series, I was like, wow, this is such a dystopian, crazy reality. And I'm slowly coming to realize that it could be 20 years away from today. Yeah, not far at all. So stay queer. Don't go lobotoming. <laughs> we love you, our little allied hookers. And a little succulent sapphist. Resist the oppressors, our proud homocrats. Resist the IFB, too. That's right. And have yourself a sodomy circus. Or don't. And Black Lives Matter. Bye. Thanks for listening. Remember to subscribe and review wherever you are listening and follow us on social media at Your Queer Story. Like what you heard? Want to share your story? Send us a voice message to add to the podcast from the Anchor app or at anchor.fm slash yourqueerstory. And if you would like to support the work we do or get exclusive content, check us out on patreon.com slash yourqueerstory. See you next week. Bye. Bye.